Just a little housekeeping before we start today's episode. After the release of today's episode, we will be releasing episodes every two weeks going forward. We have found that we will be better able to put out better content and enjoy a healthier work-life balance by allowing ourselves to have a little more time between episodes. Thanks, y'all. Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Please listen with care. Lisa and I created this podcast with the goal of enlightening each other and our listeners in prevailing over narcissistic and toxic people and relationships. Our mission with this podcast is to help survivors of toxic relationships recognize red flags and areas of personal growth while equipping them with strategies for ultimate and lasting mental health across all relationships. This is a podcast of self-discovery. We'll be talking about personal freedom, safety, security, and strength while embracing our inner voice, recognizing and honoring our gut instinct, accepting imperfection, showing grace to ourselves, and starting anew. Many of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. Our podcast is for educational and self-improvement purposes only and should not be viewed as a replacement for therapy. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities and see our show notes for helpful suggestions. Some names and identities have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent Lisa's or my views. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See our show notes for the links. If you have a red flag story you'd like to share for an upcoming episode, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us by email at heresyourredflag.com at gmail.com or private message us through Here's Your Red Flag Facebook or Instagram pages. Thanks, y'all. I flew up to the mirror Well, there was nothing that I seen You were a crime The Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Here's Your Red Flag. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Tony. I think today's episode is going to be very interesting. We are following on the heels of last week's episode about the Enneagram. The Enneagram is such a useful tool to help us better understand ourselves, our needs, our motivations, our fears, and it can help us improve our relationships and better shape our goals and values. So we thought it would be instructive and informational and educational for us to navigate narcissism using the Enneagram. So today we are going to examine how each Enneagram type can show up in an unhealthy narcissistic way as each type can lack empathy, avoid intimacy, and or develop a superiority complex. We hope this information today can reinforce our ability to recognize red flags in the behaviors and motivations of the various Enneagram types. We do want to point out that 
people's motivations and behaviors can be very fluid. There are lots of layers to people, so we don't want anyone to box themselves or other people into a particular type. So as a reminder, the classic definition of narcissism is extreme selfishness with a grandiose view of one's own talents and a craving for admiration as characterizing a personality type. Yeah, so I don't know about you, Tony, but as I was reading through all of your research <laughs> that you did and doing <laughs> a little bit of my own, but you did 95% of it, you know, it was really easy to always think this type or that type is more narcissistic than another. But after reading through all of this, it's really amazing how every single personality type can exhibit narcissistic traits. So it right? was really interesting. It is very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of the research wanted to say, oh, you know, sevens or eights or threes. And no, I mean, every single one can show up in a narcissistic way when they lack the empathy, they avoid intimacy and feel superior over other people. Mm -hmm. Those traits really come out when we're unhealthy, when we're mm -hmm. under stress, right? Oh, that's a really good point. Yes. I think the further you get away from wanting to interface and relate with other people, the more narcissistic you can become. Mm, yeah. And that could be a red flag for ourselves, too. Are we mm. noticing that we're avoiding people, avoiding social interactions? That would be a good. Now, I know, you know, a lot of types need to recharge their social batteries. But if you're noticing more and more avoidance of people or avoidance of deeper conversations, it might be worth a look into, are you experiencing stress that you don't, you're not fully aware of? Oh, that's so true. Right. The quote, I'm probably going to get it wrong, came to mind. No man is an island. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. We need each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. People that learn the Enneagram, learn their type, learn how they're healthy or unhealthy in their type. The more they learn about their type, the better able I think they are to get in touch with their vulnerability, their need for intimacy, and wanting to be more in touch in their relationships. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Well, as a review from last episode, the Enneagram is a diagram that consists of a circle with numbers one through nine. And... It also contains lines and numbers that point toward and away from each number. The lines and arrows point to the type we are most similar to during times of health and times of stress. The nine types are further organized into triads. Two, three, and four is in the heart triad. Types five, six, and seven are in the head triad. And types eight, nine, and one are in the gut triad. If we view the Enneagram in terms of triads, starting with type one would be starting with the last in order of triads. So we always begin with the type two, since it is first in the order of triads. Remember that no one type is better or worse than another. So diving in, the Enneagram type two is called the considerate helper. Narcissistic twos are extremely codependent on their supply person. They are extreme martyrs. They want to announce to everyone their good deeds, and they fully expect their supply person to give them the accolades they know they deserve. They become extremely resentful if the supply person cannot meet these expectations. 
and narcissistic twos, and I would say even healthy twos are weak in the area of expressing their expectations. That's one of the weaknesses of the type two. The type two wants everyone to see how good and helpful they are. They have a tendency to think that others don't see everything I do and no one is as good as me at serving or seeing the needs of people. I deserve to be treated better because look at all that I do. Other features of a narcissistic two is they are possessive, insincere. So they can be very complimentary, but it comes across as insincere, manipulative even. They can be seductive, very self-important, self-deceptive. They lie to themselves by saying, you know, I'm the only one that can meet this need. They can be superficial and vain. Oh, they have an egocentric generosity. They even have exhibitionist traits. They can become hedonistic and rebellious. Narcissistic twos demonstrate that they lack empathy when they think people are so self-centered and selfish. Can't they see all I'm doing here? Type twos can be so wound up in their martyrdom that they strike out at innocent bystanders who had nothing to do with the situation. They come across as constant devil's advocates displaying contrariness in conversations to display their intellect and take others down a peg, which is called projection. We thought it would be fun to throw in examples from movies again, like we did uh, last episode. And so an example of a narcissistic two would be Annie Wilkes from the movie Misery. Uh, she's the nurse, and she appears to be sh the author's biggest fan, Sheldon, but she torments him in order to keep him under her control. That is a perfect example. A lot of, you know, I imagine a lot of people in the helping professions are type twos. Yes, I really agree. All right. How about the type three? The Enneagram type three is called the competitive achiever or the performer. Okay, so narcissistic threes very much come across similarly to what we've described as the grandiose narcissist. Uh, we talked about that in season one, episode 11, the five types of narcissists. They think everyone will like them if they perform just the right way. They cannot admit failures or mistakes. They cannot be seen as a failure. They are definitely the type that point the finger away from themselves, never admit they make mistakes. They are extremely competitive and view others as a threat to their very being. They appear perfectly put together. They're braggarts and show-offs and arrogantly look down on others. They come across as very superior over others. They most likely exaggerate their accomplishments, what they have, what they will buy or acquire, all to impress others. They believe if others can see what they own, what they've achieved, Everyone will be so impressed by them and love them and worship them and admire them. Having things, achieving things, all reinforces their feeling of superiority and sense of self. They have a complete external locus of control. They don't really view others as thinking, feeling, self-sufficient beings. How could anyone function without me influencing them? How are others not just obsessing and waiting with bated breath for me to be in their lives? They compulsively seek and must have external validation from others. It is their life source. They must appear successful, beautiful, handsome, as a complete winner and achiever. They are not loyal to people and they will sell others out, even their closest relations and friends, if it means that they can get affirmation from someone. It doesn't matter if that someone is outside their inner circle or sphere. It could even be just a stranger. 
They will throw anyone under the bus to make themselves appear successful. They won't hesitate to trash talk or demean even their own spouse, their kids, parents, siblings, friends, for the sole purpose of being seen as important, successful, insightful, or just trying to be liked or curry favor. Other features of a narcissistic three, they are other-directed, competitive, deceptive, and self-deceptive. They have an excessive need for attention. They are mirroring chameleons. They're superficial and vain, and they are self-promoting. Narcissistic threes are also extremely codependent on their supply person. They can basically drain the energy from their supply person. The supply person cannot possibly ever achieve the right amount of praising or admiration to satisfy the narcissistic three. Any lack of affirmation or acknowledgement can send the three into a temper tantrum or bouts of pouting. And with each type, we're going to put in a little feature demonstrating how they lack empathy. They cannot fathom that anyone would not like them, not hold them in high esteem. They can't fathom that anybody would be critical of them. Everybody thinks they're amazing. Everybody can benefit by knowing them. Everyone admires them. When they witness the contrary, they find immediate fault with the other person, but cannot see anything in them that is at fault. An example from a series on Apple TV called The Morning Show is the character Alex Levy. She exhibits traits of a narcissistic three. Yes, she does. Can't wait for the new season to come out. Yeah, I am interested to see what they do with her character because it seemed that at the end of the season, she was at a breaking point. So I'm interested to see where she goes from here. Yes. You know, will she continue to spiral downward or will she have a turnaround? I don't know. Yeah, her character is a news reporter Mm -hmm. or a journalist. And I would think there are a lot of threes that go into journalism Mm -hmm. and TV and entertainment And so much of your identity in those types of careers is based on external validation. And as you, unfortunately, the way life is, age out as the younger models are coming in, it could take a toll on a person and really throw someone into a spiral. That's an interesting character to examine, especially from the narcissistic three standpoint. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, something interesting that you mentioned is, yes, their validation is they have an external locus of control. And so they're seeking that validation from others. But very few of their audience members actually know them. And so that validation, right, is just based on appearance. That's it. All that Alex Levy's audience knows of her is what she projects on the news. And then the media has their field day with her. And, you know, the media is right about 1% of the time. And so I actually feel sorry for her and sorry for other real people in that position, because I feel like they're so misunderstood, but they have no choice than to keep up the appearance in order Mm -hmm. to keep that validation coming in. So it's just, I think, probably a, a really sad cycle to be in. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. When you put all your eggs in the external locus of control basket, everything is based on how everybody else treats you and perceives you. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, where you're getting your affirmation. It just can't end well for that person. So how about the narcissistic four? Yeah. So the Enneagram type four is called the individualist and intense creative. 
narcissistic fours know they are so special, but they're dumbfounded because others just cannot see their specialness. They live like they've received the short end of the stick. So oftentimes they're victims. They very much have an external locus of control. They soak in their uniqueness and cannot understand why others do not understand their specialness. They feel passed over and wronged by everyone because of this. It can paralyze them from being able to rise from defeating circumstances like not getting into school or not performing well in school or the loss of a relationship or a job. Narcissistic fours are manipulative and they play the role of victim in their relationships and with their supply person. They constantly compare themselves to others and never feel like they rise to the expectations, which creates more paralysis and striving to better themselves. So more victimhood results. Other features of a narcissistic four is they are envious. They do not have a strong sense of self. They have an inferior self-image. They focus heavily on what's missing or what's lacking in their life. They are completely sensitive to any perceived slight. They internalize their defectiveness, completely self-absorbed and shallow. They fear abandonment, and they are extremely self-sabotaging. Their supply person cannot do or say anything to alleviate the narcissistic four's melancholy. The narcissistic four lacks empathy in the following ways. They can get so caught up in their own view of their lives that they just cannot see that other people have needs. The partner of a four narcissist can feel extremely drained of energy because of the constant need the four has to discuss all of their own flaws and inadequacies. An example from a movie would be the Joker from Batman. That concludes our discussion on the types within the heart triad, types two, three, and four. Now we move into the head triad, which are types five, six, and seven. Tony will tell us about the Enneagram type five called the investigator and quiet specialist. Yes. So narcissistic fives, they are very much your intellectual narcissists. They view everyone as below them intellectually. They are definite know-it-alls, but they may be more covert with this inner knowledge of themselves as they don't have the compulsion necessarily to disclose their superiority over others, like some of the other Enneagram types, like maybe a three or an eight. Instead, they may sit cross-armed, raised eyebrow, appearing quietly cynical and judging the people, the conversations, the situations. Though they're in the same room with other people, they stay separate. They don't engage. They sit silently and stoically. They don't want to need anything from others. They certainly don't want to appear like they want to need anything from others. They can find what they need all by themselves. They are suspect of everyone and feel protective over their security, independence, and privacy. They are not warm and fuzzy in the least. They come across as completely aloof and cold and judgmental. Even though they come across so cold and aloof, they still must have people as their supply. How they treat those people is very condescending and cruel, sometimes accusatory. They may give messages to those people that they demand too much of their time. They have too many needs that can't be filled. They may give messages to their supply people. You demand too much of my time. You have too many needs I cannot fill. You don't make sense when you talk. They just give off a complete air of superiority. Ways that they show that they lack empathy 
They view people as so below them intellectually, morally, spiritually. They give off the vibe that other people haven't achieved the superiority that I have achieved. People are little peons, little ants. No one has my wisdom. I am superior. Others' needs are so frivolous and surface level and materialistic. So the example that Lisa found from a movie that perfectly encapsulates a narcissistic five would be Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. That was a perfect choice. So how about the narcissistic six? Yes. So the Enneagram type six is called the loyal skeptic. Narcissistic sixes have a strong fear of being abandoned. Well, all sixes have a strong fear of being abandoned, but narcissistic sixes take it to another level. And based on this fear, they are dismissive and disrespectful of others' boundaries in order to gain safety and this feeling of belonging that they feel like they might lose. They have a very low self-esteem and they put their feelings and needs above others. And to compensate, they don't hesitate to devalue others in their life to gain a foothold in feeling secure. They project all of their fears and aggressions and vulnerabilities onto others. They are black and white in their thinking. There is no gray. It's all good or all bad. Narcissistic sixes are very suspicious of others in situations. They are controlling, sarcastic. They can be rebellious, secretive, and inflexible. How they lack empathy is with the thought process that anyone who does not view life the same way they do are then automatically suspect in their minds. They cannot see outside of their own black and white thinking. Again, there's no gray area. And an example from a movie would be Darth Vader from Star Wars. That's a great example. I kind of want to insert here for type six. Please do, because six, that was hard for me. I, yeah. I do not have a good gauge on sixes. Well, I was just going to, to say, because when we were just sharing types all the way two through six just now, I could identify with so much there. And so then the shameful part of me automatically goes to, oh my gosh, am I a narcissist? You know, because I'm not a type six, but I have a lot of six in me. And so I do feel like I'm very suspicious of people and situations. I can be controlling. I can be sarcastic and I can be inflexible, but I also have a lot of type one in me, which is a trait of a one, right? Hmm. So I think I just want to love on our audience and ourselves right now and say, if you're questioning, am I a narcissist, that automatically disqualifies you from being one. <laughs> exactly. And we all exhibit, we all have stress in our lives and have bad days and we can exhibit some of these traits. So it doesn't automatically mean we're narcissistic. I just think, I just want to give everyone a, a hug right now. And because <laughs> yeah, this is hard to hear, very hard to hear. And type sixes don't want to be abandoned, but also I don't really think any type wants to be abandoned or rejected. Right. Yeah. Again, I, what delineates a narcissistic Enneagram type from a normal Enneagram type is someone's acknowledgement that I need other people. And so like any narcissist, regardless of if we're talking Enneagram or whatever, narcissists use other people, whereas normal healthy people need other people and rely on other people. A narcissist doesn't have that vulnerability. So that's the big delineation. 
So again, we're talking about how each type can be a narcissist, but we're not saying just because you're a six, you're a narcissist. You may have some of these traits when you're unhealthy or feeling, you know, not at your at your top form, but we're not saying, yes, you're a narcissist just mm-hmm. because you may feel or think or do some of these behaviors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And another hallmark too is narcissists lack empathy. Exactly. And type sixes definitely do not lack empathy when they're in a healthy state. So yeah, I just want to throw in a mid-episode hug. Well, I love that hug. (laughs) It's a very, very sweet and caring of you. (laughs) My type. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Oops. (laughs) Which we will reveal at the end of the episode. We forgot to mention that at the top, that we promised our audience that we would reveal our types and we will be doing that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Our cherry on top. Our cherry on top. All right, Tony, how about the Enneagram type seven, the last type in the head triad? All right. So the Enneagram type seven is called the enthusiastic visionary. So all sevens basically have a constant need for stimulation and they get bored easily and do not want to feel they're stagnated in life. But it's it's on Uber Drive for a narcissistic seven. So their constant need to find and do new things can appear very selfish to other people. Narcissistic sevens are grandiose about their ability to achieve things. They have great expectations about their activities and plans for the future. They are highly sensitive to criticism If you don't admire me, I'm not sticking around. You're dispensable. They have an inflated set of expectations of others that isn't warranted. They have grandiose expectations they impose on others they expect without having done much to gain the appreciation they expect. Their grandiosity in achieving can feel imposing on others and off-putting and presumptuous. They seem to be escaping reality and the rules The rest of us must follow in normal life, and they display a self-love independent from others who desire to be a part of their lives. A narcissistic seven can seem flighty and noncommittal in relationships. When you're around them, you don't have a sense that this person really cares deeply for me. He or she could fly away at any moment. Other features of a narcissistic seven, they are very self-referencing. They are overly persuasive. They have imaginary wish fulfillment. They are fraudulent. They are very good at positive reframing. They're hedonistic, rebellious. They lack focus and discipline. They are seductively pleasing. They come across as superficial and noncommittal, and they are big takers. You can feel completely exploited in their wake. A good example from the movies is Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. Which I've never seen, so... Oh, I have. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that is a really good example. All right, we are moving into the last triad, which is the gut triad. And this triad includes types eight, nine, and one. The Enneagram type eight is called the challenger and the active controller. And healthy type eights are wonderful to have. They're extremely capable leaders. And yeah, every organization needs an eight. (laughs) Fight for the underdog. Yeah, yeah, completely. Narcissistic eights, however, are bulldozers. They are bulls in a china shop. They are blinded by their own thoughts and feelings, their emotions, when they cannot see outside of themselves, and they totally ignore other people's points of view. 
They scoff at others' points of view. They are combative and confrontational. Their assertiveness is antagonistic and causes people to resent them. It's their way or the highway. They want to dominate the environment, but lack the self-control and empathy for other people. They don't like to associate or treat kindly those they see as beneath them, and they do not treat those who they deem below them with much respect. Their passion is perceived as too forceful, and they gain power by intimidation rather than through healthy leadership. They are viewed as egocentric and force their will into everything. They scoff at authority, have little to no trust in anyone, and 100% believe they know what's best. They can come across as renegades and dictators. They become completely corrupted by power. They have extreme hubris and feel invincible to the rules that govern everybody else. As leaders, narcissistic eights are reckless and they lack vulnerability, which truly drives other people away. They can be extremely dangerous with an egotistical mindset that can lead to vengeful, hateful, and even sociopathic tendencies. Narcissistic eights are very similar to the malignant narcissists that we have discussed before. They are angry, confrontational, conning, intimidating, punitive, and vengeful. They are consciously manipulative, dominating, insensitive, lack vulnerability. They are controlling and hungry for power. They lack empathy because they truly have no desire to entertain anybody else's ideas, contributions, or opinions. They know best, and their opinions or point of view is the only thing that matters, and they just have to forcibly instill that on other people, or you're fired. An example from a movie would be Lord Voldemort from Harry Potter. Excellent. Yeah, that is a perfect choice. Yeah, yeah and I think we could probably look at uh, mm -hmm. some current day politicians as narcissistic aides. Mm -hmm. How about the type nine? The Enneagram type nine is called the adaptive peacemaker. A narcissistic nine comes across as aloof, distant, and too good to engage. Others in their life may feel slighted by their indifference. Others may feel that the narcissistic nine doesn't perceive them as important enough to make plans with or to be around. In interactions, the narcissistic nine is noncommittal with their opinions and actually not a lot of fun to talk with because they don't express their opinions or interests openly. They can come across as quite aloof. A narcissistic nine is unaware of their stubborn aggression and passively block out and don't deal with anything that threatens their comfort, regardless of its impact on others. Ways that they show that they lack empathy is they refuse to address conflict. And in doing so, this demonstrates a lack of empathy because they will not engage in negative emotions. They can seem withdrawn when you need them the most. An example of a narcissistic nine from a movie would be Norman Bates from Psycho. Perfect. So how about the Enneagram type one, our yeah. final type? Yeah. So last but not least, the Enneagram type one is known as the reformer and strict perfectionist. Narcissistic type ones, however, are extremely judgmental. They can be moody and snippy at others because others are just not as smart as they are at seeing the fine and important points of things or situations. Narcissistic ones fixate on small imperfections they perceive in situations and in others. They feel morally superior and their way is the right way 
and they can become indignant when others express opinions or other options. They are very close-minded to other points of view. It is definitely my way or the highway. They have a superior sense of righteousness. I could go on and on about this because uh, number two is a narcissistic type one. Well, I am so (laughs) glad that you're covering this because anything extra that you can point out to our audience would be quite appropriate. Well, yeah, I can just, our whole marriage, I walked on eggshells and was just overly focused on small things because I knew it was the small things that would set him off. And those are the things he would be critical of. I'll never forget, I damaged the door of his car one time, accidentally, of course. And I was just so sick to my stomach knowing that I had to call him and and let him know what happened. And he was so sweet and so reassuring that cars are only things people are what matters and it's okay we'll get it fixed it's not a big deal and just so compassionate and empathetic and I was just torn up about it because his car is very much tied to his image and Mm. I knew that however one little thing could be on the back shelf of the refrigerator instead of toward the front and it would cause a whole weekend's worth of silent treatment. Mm. So everything was kind of topsy-turvy in a way that... In a guessing game. In a total guessing game. Mm. Yeah, a total guessing game. And so I had a lot of fun, not fun, but I had... It was easy for me to type out how they treat their supply person and how they Mm. lack empathy because I just lived this with number two and with my father, especially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Narcissistic ones treat their supply person condescendingly, critically, like a child, and not like you would care for a child, but as in putting them down like a child. Mm -hmm. They do not hesitate to put you in your place, which is always beneath them. If you have some sort of issue or concern, they will react as if it's a burden to them. Your needs definitely do not matter. And in fact, they're quick to tell you why you shouldn't have those needs. They also treat their supply person as a means to an end. We can feel very dispensable. And narcissistic ones lack empathy because they simply don't have time for emotions. It's a waste of time to talk about how we feel, particularly negative emotions, and especially when they're your emotions. So anger and resentment and jealousy are never bad emotions unless they're yours. They are fully entitled to experience those things, but you definitely can't experience them. When people come to a narcissistic one with their problems, the narcissistic type one is very quick to blame them. Well, what did you do to cause that? Or how come you didn't blah, blah, blah. So they're very quick to blame the one that's suffering and they find fault with how people are feeling and they are very dismissive. An example from a movie of a narcissistic type one would be Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Perfect. All right. So this is a moment. I don't know if the audience has been waiting for it, but we've been <laughs> kind of waiting to reveal our types to everyone. Yeah. Ish. So, ish. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? Um, I don't. Well, my type doesn't really care. My type goes based on what? <laughs> Same with mine. What other people 
No, so after you. Two hours. No, after you. No, after you. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I don't funny. know how we get anything done, Lisa. I know. Because we just really <laughs> want to accommodate each other all of the time as based on our types. Totally. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll go. Sure. Since mine's listed first in the notes. So I am a type three wing two. The Enneagram type three is called the competitive achiever or the performer. And just my little write up to share with the audience and what I've learned. In my early years leading to adulthood, I was very driven to achieve goals. But I now know that my achievement was not so much for internal gratification, but rather for external affirmation. I wanted to please everyone and oftentimes would compromise my needs and values in order to do so. As I got older, I found better footing in my confidence level, but I still felt that I lacked understanding in the motives and behaviors of other people, especially with unhealthy or inauthentic people. In learning the Enneagram personality types, I have started to gain insight that people operate differently based on their motivations from their type. I am learning that not all people are safe to dive into relationships with and that having everyone like and approve of me is completely unrealistic. And honestly, that has been probably the most freeing thing in learning about the Enneagram for me. I've learned that it's safer to keep a small and authentic group of friends and family that I share my deepest and darkest with. And I've dropped the compulsion to have everybody approve of and like me. I'm learning to drop having expectations of others. I'm learning how to meet each person where they're at and not expect them to be where I'm at. As far as the achiever component of my type, I'm learning to be easier on myself and stop and smell the roses more. Where in the past, I would work like a dog to please others or to just get stuff done. Oftentimes, it was to gain others' approval. Now, I choose to do work that leans into my values and my goals and with what agrees with my heart magnet. I've learned that it's more valuable to be loved for who I am rather than what I do or achieve. Well, you're my favorite three. Aw. Yeah, totally. Well, it, is, it is funny. I don't know if this really fits, but I did take the Enneagram test again a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't taken it in all these years. And I came out as a two wing three. Mm -hmm. And I know we don't necessarily change types, but... That would be interesting to talk to an Enneagram expert because I feel like my growth in my type has allowed me to free myself from, like I said, needing to get other people's approval and validation. And I seek to do things to make things better. Doing things is much more internally motivated. And I think that maybe comes out more as a two. So maybe I'm just leaning more into my wing two in my positive growth. What do you think? I think so, definitely. I've always typed you as a two wing three mm. because that's how you treat me. Mm. You know, experts say we don't change our type. And I think what's meant by that is you wouldn't go from being someone in the heart triad to going to a gut. Right. Or a head triad. Mm -hmm. Because what the Enneagram is all about is that core emotion in our motivation. So what core emotion are we trying to stifle? And everyone in the heart triad is trying to stifle shame. Mm. And so while the Enneagram is very delineated, I do think there's room for flexibility within each triad. And you could very well be 50-50 
with your types. I definitely see that. And I think you hit the nail on the head too when we use the Enneagram as a tool for self-improvement and growth. Mm -hmm. Then we file down those rough edges of ourselves, which can then look like another type. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And we're older and wiser. Mm -hmm. And we just realize what really matters. Mm -hmm. We can let go of some things that don't really matter or don't provide fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we fine tune our values as we get older and Mm -hmm. our goals as well. So, yeah, I think how I was as a 20, 30 year old is different than who I am as Mm -hmm. a 50 year old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how about your big reveal, Lisa? Yeah. Uh, Well, I am a type two with a one wing. The Enneagram type two is called the considerate helper. But I also have a lot of type six personality. As a child and even into my early 40s, I was consumed with pleasing people. Other people's happiness and acceptance of me was a priority. So I put my needs and desires on hold. The hardest thing for me these past few years has been to have the guts to express what I need. I have this kind of nervous thought process I go through before asking for what I need that maybe if I ask and the answer is no, then the person will think less of me or won't be my friend anymore. And it can be something as simple as maybe you and I set a time to record at 8 a.m. and I didn't sleep all night or I woke up with a headache or whatever. I would have a really hard time, even with you, my best friend, saying, hey, can we move it to nine? It would take a lot for me to do that. And you've never treated me in a poor way. And I know for sure you would say, oh, absolutely, let's do that. But it's just, again, that fear of abandonment and that fear of you not accepting me or, yeah, I don't really know what that is. But so it's kind of sounds silly, but it's taken a lot for me to take steps to overcome that. Well, I've seen a lot of growth in you and you're moving in a positive direction away from that and getting more in touch with your needs and realizing that because you have needs, it doesn't trample on other people. Mm -hmm. That's that's huge growth. Thank you. So I am learning how to say no. And, you know, a beautiful thing I know Tony says is no is a complete sentence. (laughs) Yeah. And in saying no, what I really mean by that is I'm listening to my heart magnet when it comes to helping people or going to social events or even what I'm going to do for the day. I know I have obligations with my job and things, but outside of that, I really listen to my heart magnet and even doing, making a to-do list. You know, I'm just not feeling it that day and don't have to do it, then I'll move it to the next day. And just real conscious of that. And The first time I took the Enneagram test and saw my results, I started reading about types two and one, and I felt really, really seen for the first time. I just felt like the book I was reading, the authors just were inside my brain all the time. I also felt exposed and a little bit of shame, which those of us in the head triad are, you know, driven by shame. But I did feel ashamed of what could be my typical behaviors under stress. So as you know, twos are running from shame and type ones 
tend to be very critical. So this means I'm hypercritical of myself most often. So marrying number two just added fuel to the fire since he is a very unhealthy type one. He was overly critical of me. And then I just turned that into even more self-criticism and it led to constant self-doubt. Now that number two has been largely out of the picture for almost three years, I can't believe that, Mm. I'm able to focus on what traits I want to nurture and what I really want to prune away. What I'm working on at the moment, like I said, is expressing my needs, which could be just a few moments alone or mostly shared responsibilities around the house. I'm also noticing that when I'm venturing into stress, I'm learning how to tame my snippiness. (laughs) And I think... I know Tony has said that the Enneagram really, you know, enriched her marriage. And I feel like the Enneagrams deepened our friendship because we have a common language and we're learning to be easier on ourselves and others. There's freedom in naming and claiming our types. And there's also freedom in knowing or suspecting what other someone else's personality type might be so that we learn how to best meet them where they are, meet ourselves where we are and just show grace all around. I love that. That's great, Lisa. Well, this has been great. I think I've thought of other areas that we could definitely go in with how to, you know, if we identify somebody as a narcissistic type, how can we respond to them appropriately? So there are other directions we could go in. The audience has any kind of contribution to this conversation. We would just love to hear from you. You can email us at here's your red flag at gmail.com. And yeah, we just really want to keep an open dialogue with everyone. But to close out today, we want to push the point that narcissism exists across all the Enneagram types. And we want to be very careful not to reduce a person to just a type or file them into a narcissism bucket just because they may be exhibiting unhealthy behaviors. Humans are multifaceted. And I think most people really seek to grow and develop and build and nurture their relationships. Our purpose of using the Enneagram is to hone our skills of identifying red flags when we come across others who are not healthy for us and use the Enneagram for other reasons as well. You know, just as we've been beating the drum, meet people where they're at. It's also important for each of us to tap into self-awareness in order to self-observe and self-reflect. Self-reflection can help one develop greater empathy, intimacy, vulnerability, and a healthier sense of self opposite of the traits seen in narcissism. So we really want to thank y'all for joining us today. We will see you next time on Here's Here's Your Red Red Flag. Flag. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. I flew up to the mirror. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rating. Thanks, y'all.